Good evening. Hey there. Hi. It's okay. I understand. Long weekend where you did no work and then you got sick. It sounds pretty bad. Um, but I am, I am really glad to be here. I am really glad to see each of you here uh, on, a, on a cold week to be reminded that there is uh, a good God who loves us. We're, we're continuing our series that we started last week for this semester in RUF, going through the Psalms. Uh, and just to remind you, we're going through the Psalms because the, the God of the Bible is a God who speaks. He's a God who spoke creation into existence. He's a God who spoke to his people through his prophets. He's a God who, whose very spoken word put on flesh and was born as Jesus of Nazareth. And he's a God who speaks to us through his word and through his spirit even now. And we're looking at the Psalms because God cares about us so much that not only does he speak to us, he gives us words to speak back to him. Those are what, those are what the Psalms are. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Psalm 13 this evening as words that we can speak back to God. We talked last week about how the Psalms covered the, the full array of human experience and human emotion. And so it may seem like a weird place to go early in the semester, but the circumstance, the human situation of Psalm 13 is suffering. It's sorrow. It's pain. And, and as we read it, what you're going to hear, what you're going to feel is that Psalm 13 is, is dripping with emotion. It is bursting. It is exploding with emotion. You're going to feel anger. You're going to feel frustration. You're going to feel disappointment and longing. You're also going to feel trust and gratitude and joy. You're going you're gonna to feel all those things. And so my encouragement to you tonight as we, as we talk and as we read is to let yourself feel. To let yourself open up your heart to feel these things. Uh, I don't want to be dramatic for the sake of being dramatic, but as I read it out loud, uh, I'm going to try to read it in an emotionally accurate way. So I am not going to say, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? I'm not going to say that. I'm going to I'm going to try to read it how it feels. I just want to prepare you for that in case it feels weird, especially if you haven't met me. (laughs) So with that in mind, let's look at Psalm 13. It says, To the choir master, reminding us that this is a song, a psalm of David. This is the great high king of Israel, David, writing this. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted In your steadfast love, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray and then we'll jump into it. Father, I'm grateful that you speak to us and I'm grateful that you address our sorrow and our suffering and our pain. Will you teach us tonight how to pay attention to that and how to trust you enough to come to it? I pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts through your word so that we might love you more and love each other. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. 
I, I found out that uh, my family and I were coming to Lexington that we'd gotten this job doing RUF at WNL in the, in the fall semester of my last year in seminary in St. Louis. And so uh, I was finishing up school, but I also was starting the process of uh, becoming an ordained pastor, which is, which is you know, a, a lots of different parts of that process. But one of the parts of that process is that there's a lot of tests. I had to take all these tests, you know, to prove that I knew enough, that I was smart enough, that I had the, the tools that I needed. And uh, there's, there's seven written tests, and there's all things like uh, the Bible, like the whole Bible, things like theology, which is like whatever the Bible says about everything, uh, things like church history. So really, really big tests. And these are tests like I took each of them, took one every three days for three weeks. The Bible exam took me 12 hours. Like I was taking that test for 12 hours. Um, a couple of them were like that. And so after you take the written test, then I flew to Virginia, and I came to Lexington, and I went to the conference room at Grace Presbyterian Church where I now go to church, and I, uh, you have to take an oral committee exam where you sit down with a group of people, and they give you examination in the room, and then if you pass that, you go on to the floor exam where you get in a room with about this many people in it, pastors and elders from all over the state, and they can ask you whatever they want about anything, and you have to answer right, and then they vote on you, yes or no. So yeah, it was a really stressful time for me. <laughs> Uh, and unlike many of you, I, I just, you know, being a student is not my best thing. It's just not my best thing. And so I, I was just really anxious during, during this time, uh, going, through, going through and trying to be in school. And I was just studying all the time, just studying all the time, filling my head with these things, trying to remember them. And I couldn't sleep because I would, I would lay in my bed and I would just like think through the questions that I was learning until I came to one that I, this is probably happening, until I came to one I didn't know. And then I would have a little mini panic attack. You know what I'm talking about? heart starts to race, tightness in the chest. There's no sleep happening, right? Adrenaline is pumping into your body. And then eventually you either don't sleep or you like get up and study somewhere, right? It's terrible. So I, I'm studying. I take all these tests. I fly out to Virginia. I'm in the conference room and I meet with these guys. I'm in suit and tie looking fly. I wait for two hours in the lobby before I go in. I finally go in. And for three hours, they, they each of these, just, you know, it's like old men with beards, and they each have my exams in front of them, and they just go through every single thing that I got wrong. And they ask me every single question that they wish I'd said a little more about for three hours. And, and at the end of the time, what they tell me is that they'd like me to uh, beef it up a little bit. That these exams that I spent like 12 hours each on that I studied for weeks for, they said it felt like I had rushed through them. And uh, they basically sent me back with three of these tests that they wanted me to kind of rework and resubmit and then meet with them one more time. So I, I leave this meeting and I uh, go out with Maggie to the Red Hen to celebrate passing my exam. Because that's what we had planned on doing. Hold on, I just need a second. So I, uh, we, go out, we, go out to, uh, we go out to the Red Hen and we get a champagne toast and we toast the victory, right? And Maggie's asking me how, it's go how it went and I'm sort of trying to figure out, like, how do I even articulate what just happened? I'm pretty overwhelmed. I'm pretty distraught. And at first I say, oh, you know, it went really well, but there's just, like, a few things they want me to, like, you know, work on. And then I'm like, oh, well, actually, um, they only, like, resubmit, like, three of the tests and then I have to like do the whole oral exam again. And then eventually I'm like, well, okay, I don't, I don't think it went very well. <laughs> and then eventually, and I'm, I'm not like lying to her. I'm just realizing to myself, and it's dawning on me and her at the same time, like I failed this test. Like I failed it. 
Like, I didn't know enough. I didn't say it well enough. And instead of the, the relief from anxiety that I wanted, I kind of sank deeper into it, holding a beautiful champagne flute at the nicest restaurant in town as a failure. We, we go through struggles. We go through suffering. We go through mistakes. We go through failures. And if you're like me, we don't even let ourselves recognize it. Because you're at a school, you're in a culture, you in particular, this is hard for everybody, but you in particular, a place that values achievement and success and belonging. And so everything that you do is promoting and presenting and projecting this picture of yourself as a success, as an achiever, as one who's arrived and who belongs. And this comes out in how we talk. In the ways that we say, oh yeah, it went pretty well, it, when it didn't go very well. This comes out in the way that we dress. It comes out in the way we spend our time. It comes out in what we post on Instagram. Everything that we do is a manufacturing of this picture that we're supposed to have here. But the, the truth is that we're all suffering. The truth is that we're all struggling. And, and many of us whether it's right now or another season of our life, have, have suffered a lot, have struggled with a lot, have been through things that caused us a tremendous amount of pain. For some of you, uh, it's failure. It's showing at WNL, ready to take over the world, and then the grades are just not what you hoped for. Or applying for that competitive internship and not getting it, or that job and not getting it or that grad school you've been working towards since you were 15 and it's not working out for you and you're trying to come to grips with the reality that who you are has not been enough for what you want. Some of you are are suffering in relationships. You're being hurt by others. You're being abandoned by others. Some of you are going through breakups. Some of you are longing to be in a relationship and it's just not happening. Some of you feel like you wish you had different friends, that those people over there are the ones you wish were your people. And so you're lonely and you're sad. Some of you are suffering socially. You're living out the consequences of your actions. Some of you are wrestling in the wake of rush, not going the way that you hoped it would go. Some of you are dealing with people talking about you because of the things that you've done or said. Sometimes those are true things. Sometimes they're not true things. And there's pain that comes along with these things, right? Some people are struggling with addictions to alcohol and pornography and pot and obsessing over your self-image and controlling everything that you put in your body. And you just are so frustrated and so disappointed in yourself and you can't get it under control. We're suffering in all kinds of ways. A lot of you guys are struggling because of things that went on in your families. Pain, dysfunction, sickness, divorce, dysfunction, and all kinds of ways. And in all this stuff, if you're a Christian, I know not everyone here tonight is a Christian, but if you're a Christian, you've probably been asking God for help. And sometimes it feels like he's just not listening. It feels like he's just not showing up. And what I want to tell you tonight is that the the good news for you is that the the Bible speaks uh, deeply about the experience of suffering. And not only does it speak deeply about the experience of suffering, it, it gives us words to speak deeply to God 
about our suffering. That's what Psalm 13 is. It speaks deeply to our suffering and it gives us words to speak deeply to God in the midst of our suffering and in our struggle. So I want you to take a second and I want you to try to let yourself feel the things that are in your life right now that are causing you anxiety. That are causing you sadness. I was in a meeting on campus this week where they told us that um, anxiety and depression has gone up 30% on this campus in the past four years. What's causing that for you? Where are you struggling and suffering? And then what I want to do is actually, I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it one more time. And I want you to try to feel whatever it is that's weighing you down as we read this. And then I, and then I want to make a few comments about it. So Psalm 13, one more time. Psalm 13 to the choir master, a psalm of David. Look at it, get on your sheet. Or if you want, you can just close your eyes and listen. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I want to just suggest to you three movements, three ways that we move in our relationship with God in the midst of our suffering. Okay, just three things. First, we look in. Second, we look up. And third, we look back. We look in, we look up, and we look back. So first, we look in. This is a psalm. There's... That what, what scholars call this is a psalm of lament. A proclamation of sorrow. And one of the things that having this in the Bible does is it helps us, it reminds us, it teaches us to pay attention to what's going on inside of us. It reminds us that life is not all about what you are doing, but you actually have to pay attention to what you are feeling. And we live in a a really conflicted culture about this because you're actually supposed to be genuine and authentic. That's cool now. But even more so, you're supposed to have it all together. Right? Our default, even when we're feeling things, is to ignore them, is to do something to numb the pain, is to distract ourselves. We, We convince ourselves that it's like weak or selfish to indulge in our own feelings. And we certainly don't want to talk about it, right? Who wants to be the downer? Who wants to be a burden to the people around them? But Psalm 13 validates the fact that you have emotions and you're supposed to pay attention to them. You're supposed to. You're supposed to listen to your heart. You're supposed to pay attention to the moments and the people and the things and the events and the desires and the longings and the disappointments and the fears and the joys. You're supposed to pay attention. You're supposed to look inside. Because if we're supposed to pour out our hearts to God with this kind of explosive honesty, we have to know what to say. We have to know what's going on first. It's a prerequisite for our prayer life. For some of you, this is like blatantly obvious, right? Like something is blowing up in your life and it's all you can think about. You know exactly how you're feeling, right? And then for some of you, uh, you spent time even this week trying to convince people that everything's okay. That you're fine, that it's normal. 
and you're just trying to convince yourself, trying to convince others that what you feel is not important and to just keep doing and just keep achieving and just fix it and just move on to the next task. And so I, I want to challenge you to ask yourselves as we start tonight, where are you afraid? Where are you disappointed? Where are you angry? Where are you grateful? Where are you excited? Where are you satisfied? These are the kind of questions that Psalm 13 reminds us we actually should be asking ourselves every day. And if this, is, uh, if this is, sounds crazy to you or a new thing, I, I, would, I would challenge you to practice this this week. Pick, pick three bad emotions and three good ones and write them on a piece of paper and then write out something that makes you feel that way from each of those. You, you're, you've been conditioned to ignore your heart. And God's word calls us to look inside, to look in, to pay attention to how we're feeling. That's the first movement, to look in. The second is to look up. What, what we're called to do in this Bible is that as soon as we have looked in, without processing it, without refining it, without adding anything or taking anything away, we're supposed to bring it directly up in prayer to God. We're supposed to explode with emotion and earnestness and honesty to God in prayer. Have you ever prayed a prayer like Psalm 13 in your life? Have you ever yelled at God? Have you ever cried to God? Have you ever begged God? The beauty of God's love is that He actually invites this. He actually welcomes this. And why else would He do it? But for His love for us. What other friend says, I would invite you to tell me, how long are you going to keep acting like this? Like, what would we do if someone said that to us? We'd probably get defensive, probably make up an excuse, or we'd say, me? What about you? we turn that right around. What does God do? He just welcomes it. He just takes it. Why does he do that? It's because what he wants most of all is for you to have an experience of intimacy with him. That's his greatest desire for you. And so he welcomes your raw emotions. He knows you have them anyways. He does not want you to sound good in your prayers. He wants you to sound honest. That's one of the reasons I wanted to read this out loud. That's one of the reasons I want to encourage you when you think about reading your Bible to read them out loud. If, you are, if you're being honest with yourself and then you come across this and you say... How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? You, you'll just sound dumb. It won't work. Say it out loud. It will actually force you to, to, to learn how to come to God with the fullness of our emotions. And, and I want to just encourage you in this point. The last thing I'll say about this is that this is, a, this is what we see Jesus doing. Can you picture Jesus in the garden the night he's betrayed? Weeping? God, if this can change, please let it change. Please don't let this happen to me. Jesus does this. Can you see Jesus on the cross quoting Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Lord Jesus himself can call out to God like this. He invites us to do the same. That's what it means to look up. We look in and we look up. And then the last thing tonight, we look we look back. The only way we have the power to do this, the only way we have the courage to do this is if we look back, is if we remember. We have to remember what God is like and we have to remember what God has done. 
We remember what God is like and what God has done. He says this in verse 5, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. I've trusted in your steadfast love. One of the challenges to this kind of psalm and to this kind of prayer, what answer does David get back? He doesn't get one. He doesn't say, and then everything was fine because I was honest with God and he fixed my problems. He doesn't say that. He doesn't hear back from God just three days. You just hold on for three more days. I'm going to take it all away. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to change the other person's heart. I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you stronger. I'm going to take away the pain. He doesn't say that. God actually does not give us the answers that we want. But it's actually because he is good and he loves us. In Isaiah 55, we read this from God. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We went to the uh, Martin Luther King birthday party in Evans yesterday, me and my family. And uh, fun time. There's free pizza. There's free crafts. Some of you guys were there. There's great stuff going on. And uh, my daughter, Ellie Kate, who spent the, the night before on her first ever sleep away from home thing at a Girl Scout lunar eclipse party, <laughs> where they let my six-year-old like stay up till 10, then woke her back up at 12.30 to look at the lunar eclipse. I think she got like an hour of sleep. She's, she's like totally, she's, she's breaking down, okay? And we let her have a cupcake. And it, you know, you'll, you'll learn this someday. Just store this in your back pocket. They're, they're really tired and you give them sugar. It's bad, okay? Uh, so we give her a cupcake, and she's had some pizza, and she's sitting with her friends, and then they cut the cake. We sing happy birthday to Martin Luther King, and then she wants another piece of cake. And what did mom and dad say? No, you may not have that cake. What is the, what is the situation from my daughter's perspective? You don't love me. You don't care about me. You don't want me to be happy. Look what other people are getting, and I can't have a piece of cake? That's honestly what she's thinking, right? Is that why we didn't let her have a piece of cake? Of course not. I love her. I care about her. I want what's best for her. I want her to be healthy. I want her blood sugar to be at a level that is like sane. Like, I actually care about her. I'm thinking about what her night was like. I'm thinking about what the rest of the day is going to be like, not just for her, but for my wife who has to parent a kid who just got one hour sleep and now has had sugar. That's the things I'm thinking about. She doesn't understand. She does not see it. My thoughts are above her thoughts a little bit. My ways are above her ways a little bit. This is us and God. We don't see. We don't understand the big picture. And we don't understand his timing. The God who says a thousand years is but a moment. And so you're going to have experiences where you don't understand why God isn't doing something if he is really good. You're going to have moments where you don't understand why he's making you wait so long. And God's word still insists that he works all things together for your good. Do you know why? It's because he cares a lot more about your holiness than about your happiness. It's because when he leads us through suffering and sorrow and struggle, and he will, it teaches us to depend on him, 
to rely on him, to need him, to love him, to be desperate for him. Guess what's the best thing for us? Guess what leads to life and joy and goodness and peace? To trust him and to lean on him and to rely on him. So keep praying. Don't be shocked when it doesn't go away and don't be shocked when it doesn't go away right away. The, the second thing I'll say is this. I have trusted in your steadfast love, verse 5, and then he says this, My heart shall rejoice when things get better. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And so we're faced with a challenge here that the Bible gives us over and over and over again, which is this, what do you need for your life to be full and good? Is the love of God expressed through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ enough for you? Because there are some moments when we feel Jesus near and we feel his presence and his warmth and his love and it is so good. And then there are some moments where we say, I don't know what is going on, but I know that I have an inheritance in heaven. I know that eternity is being kept for me and so I'm going to keep fighting. Because this is not the end of the story. We look back. We remember what God is like and what he has done. Because he actually cares about us. Because Paul says in Romans 5 that he actually, listen to this, this is insane. He rejoices in suffering. Because suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And your circumstances are not strong enough to carry your hope. They are too fragile. They are too weak. The love of God is strong enough to carry your hope. It's actually the only thing that is strong enough. So we look up. Sorry, we look in, we look up, and then we look We look back. And I, I want to offer just three suggestions tonight about, about how we put this kind of thing into practice. What does this mean? How does this change how we live our lives? The, my, my, my first encouragement is this. Uh, is to keep praying. To just keep praying. To keep calling out to God. To just keep on calling out to God until your heart starts to change so that you are rejoicing in your salvation. I think we have to just keep calling out. Sometimes you hear, you know, it's the journey is the destination kind of thing. It is. Because the destination is not a good, happy life. It is intimacy with Jesus who loves you. So keep praying. This, the second is this, is to practice asking yourselves these emotional questions. And then when you have an answer, insert it into Psalm 13 and say it out loud. Here's, here's what this would look like, okay? Lord, I'm scared because I feel like I'll never have friends here who really know me. How long will you hide your face from me, O oh Lord? Lord, I am angry because of what this person did to me. How long will you make me wait for love and peace? It's just honest prayers. You should insert your life, insert your feelings, and then say it out loud with Psalm 13. It's a gift to you. It's giving you words to speak. Not only is that going to make you a more honest person, because that's just integrity. That's just you actually saying what's true to God. But that very act of saying it is going to be an act of growing your trust in God. Just saying the words, just hearing your voice say it will actually start to change you 
over time. It's like drops in a bucket. And then the, the third thing is this, is to remember that uh, the Psalms, including Psalm 13, are the hymn book of the people of Israel, which means that they are meant to be sung by the congregation. They are not meant to be sung alone. Which means that if you have pain, if you have suffering, if you have struggle and you have not told a friend about it or not told a friend fully about it, do it this week. Talk to a friend. And I want to encourage you, if you're one of the friends who gets something told to, who says, hey, I haven't been talking about the death in my family. I haven't been talking about what's going on with my friends. I haven't been talking about my parents' marriage. i got to talk to somebody. I, I hope, I encourage you to, to do, what, do what God does when we come to him. Don't try to give him a quick fix answer. Don't just tell him everything will be okay. Listen. Sit with them. Hold them. Cry with them. Tell them that you love them. Be with them. That's what, that's what Jesus does for us. He's with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that uh, you care about us so much that you will use our suffering and our struggle to build our relationship with you, to grow our trust and our dependence and our experience of your nearness to us. Lord, please give us the faith that will lead to patience when this takes much longer than we want. Please give us the, the faith and the trust that leads to the patience to continue to pray to you even when you don't give us the answers that we want. Help us to keep praying until our joy is in your salvation, until we can actually say you have dealt bountifully with us, not because our circumstances have changed, but because of your great, unending, never-stopping love. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.